we're going to shift into our uh, study of, yeah, <laughs> uh, our, our center point study uh, tonight. Of course, this is the first study of the new year, and so we're starting a new, uh, a new book, uh, the book of Nehemiah. And um, anyway, but uh, uh, really, if, if you were with this last uh, time in the, in the fall, uh, you know that this isn't really a new study per se. We're really just continuing uh, from where we were, uh, the book that we looked at prior to this in Ezra. Um, and because uh, uh, if you remember that, that originally uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah were, were one book. Uh, that was compiled by one author uh, to uh, tell uh, the story of that uh, particular time in in redemptive history. Uh, And so this is a continuation of uh, the study that began in Ezra chapter 1, which is really a continuation of uh, the the story that uh, ended in 2 Chronicles 36, which is a continuation of the story that started at creation and ultimately goes back to eternity past uh, when God purposed to redeem a people for himself and set his affection on them and set into motion that plan which would uh, bring a people from every tribe and tongue and nation uh, to worship him through uh, a redeemer who is ultimately the Lord Jesus. But whether we're starting or continuing um, uh, that uh, story, it's important for us to just be reminded, isn't it, of the of the context in which uh, the story of Nehemiah uh, takes place. Uh, if you were with us last semester, you'll remember that uh, the uh, that God has been at work. Uh, in the lives of his people. He's uh, been in work in the, in the world as a whole, right? Not just in the, his own people, but even in the lives of world leaders and the nations uh, to accomplish his purpose in the world. And in this particular story, God is bringing his people back from exile, in Babylon, which was now under the rule of uh, the Persian Empire, and he's bringing them back to the promised land, and uh, he is working through them to rebuild uh, the temple and the city of Jerusalem, all for the the purpose of reestablishing proper worship in community life uh, among the people of God. And as we saw in the story of Ezra, this was not an easy uh, process. There was a lot of bumps and bruises along the way uh, that God's people continued to be distracted and lose sight of their purpose. But God persevered in them and uh, brought messengers to them, prophets like Haggai and Zechariah. He brought leaders like Ezra to bring them back to, to fix their focus on, on the Lord by showing them the, the word of God, to proclaim God's word and God's truth to them. 
And of course, that's something that God always does for his people, isn't it? That he doesn't allow us to continue to just wander off without direction or purpose. There are seasons uh, in our lives when perhaps we don't entirely understand the direction uh, that we're going, Um, but ultimately we know that God is taking us through those seasons for his purpose in our lives. And God is always faithful to provide instruction for his people uh, through his word so that we, wherever we are, wherever, whatever place we might be in, we might know how to love and to serve him uh, in that place. Sometimes in very uncomfortable circumstances like the Israelites faced uh, in uh, this stage of redemptive history. Sometimes in situations where we have to wait and maybe even search for an extended period of time, but ultimately God directs our steps where he wants us in his time. And so as we left off in the story of Ezra, we saw God call his people once again to repentance, right? Having been confronted with the truth of God's word at the end of Ezra in chapter 10, we saw the people of God being called again to repentance, confessing their sin, turning away from their idolatry, their betrayal of God in the particular circumstances that they had married unbelieving wives and were ultimately being drawn away from the Lord as a result. Uh, But again, at the end of of Ezra, we see the power of God's word to to work in his people's hearts uh, to bring bring them back to the truth. But as we pick up in Nehemiah, we find that Well, roughly 13 years have passed since the end of of Ezra. Uh, The the text tells us it was from the seventh year of King Artaxerxes to the 20th year, which ultimately means we're now in the year 445 B.C. Uh, We don't know exactly what happened uh, in those intermittent years, right? The Holy Spirit didn't see fit to give us all the details of that time. Certainly there were ups and downs uh, for uh, the people during this time. Um, But nevertheless, the work of of rebuilding and and restoration uh, continued. And so as we come to the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, or the 11th chapter of Ezra Nehemiah, Uh, however you look at it, we are quickly reminded uh, that the work is is not complete. As Nehemiah begins, there's uh, these men in verses two and three, a group of men arrive uh, led by a man named Hanani and they give Nehemiah a report of the situation in Jerusalem. In verse three, it says, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
In other words, uh, the situation is, is not good. Now, uh, a, lot, the, the, a lot has been going on in Jerusalem during this time, and so um, the question might be, well, why were things in such a state of disrepair? Uh, most likely, the, the burning of the gates was the result of uh, the events of Ezra 4, not that you're going to remember <laughs> what that was, but uh, it was when the people had begun to rebuild the city and the walls, um, but King Artaxerxes ordered the work to be stopped. And Ezra 4, 23 tells us the king's men went in haste by force and power and made them cease. And so there was opposition uh, that the people uh, were, were facing. And so this is how the, the book of, of Nehemiah begins. And when, when Nehemiah hears the report uh, in verse 3, it says that he immediately sprung, or more appropriately, he immediately kneeled into action. And we'll see a little more of that in detail uh, next week. But we see uh, here at the very beginning the heart of, of Nehemiah, that his immediate response to the report in verse 3 was to get on his knees and to pray to Almighty God. And that is an important theme that we will see as we look through uh, the book of Nehemiah. And so tonight we're going to be really just doing a 30,000 foot uh, flyover of, of the book. Next week we'll be looking at the actual exposition uh, beginning in chapter one. Uh, and hopefully it's, it is helpful for us as we, uh, as we look at that, that big picture. I'm sure all of you uh, have been on airplanes. I don't know if you've ever flown uh, out to west, but uh, so if you're on the correct route, sometimes uh, when you're flying over at 30,000 feet and, and you're over the Grand Canyon, they'll say, look down and look at the Grand Canyon. You kind of look down and it looks like a big hole. Um, but if you ever actually walk up and you're on the ground and see the Grand Canyon, it is one of the most awesome sights that you'll ever see. So hopefully the, the flyover won't be as uh, underwhelming as looking out of the airplane uh, down at the Grand Canyon. Hopefully uh, it'll help, but maybe it'll help us to appreciate the beauty of the text when we look at it in more detail as we go through it over the next uh, several weeks. Um, but to give you that 30,000 foot flyover, I think it is always helpful uh, when we look at an Old Testament book just to be reminded of the chronology of uh, the Old Testament with some of those uh, major markers uh, from Old Testament history. For example, right, that Abraham lived around 2000 BC. Uh, Moses was around 1500. David, around 1000. And Ezra and Nehemiah, right around the 500 mark. Ezra, uh, his, uh, the book of Ezra at least, began in 538 BC with uh, Cyrus of Persia's decree uh, that the people should 
can't, could return to Jerusalem and begin uh, to be rebuild. Uh, and then uh, the story continues on, and Nehemiah ends around 430 uh, BC. So there's just over 100 years of history. Um, but obviously, that puts us about 430 years before uh, Christ's birth. Um, and it's important to understand, right, that, that Nehemiah does mark the end of Old Testament history, um, right? And, and, and what follows after Nehemiah is really 430 years of, of silence until the announcement of the births of uh, John the Baptist in Jesus. Uh, but this is an important stage in redemptive history, the, the restoration period as it's called, um, because in it we see the people of God restored uh, from a place of, of judgment, uh, a place of, of disfavor from God. Why? Because of their sin, their continual disobedience and, and breaking of the, the covenant with God when they were carried off into to exile. And they are brought from that place to a place of, of favor and, and, and good standing, as it were, a, a place of promise, the place that God had called them to be. And of course, right, all of this comes about not because of their own doing, but ultimately because of the goodness and, and faithfulness of God, according to his, his promise and his covenant, which he made known to uh, the people through the prophets. And we remember, right, that, that the Israelites had uh, been carried off, right? We look at uh, beginning in 605 BC, the Assyrians uh, come in and uh, at least carry away the, the northern kingdom into exile. And then uh, some years pass, and in 586 B.C., the Babylonians are in power, and they finish off the humiliation of the Israelites when Jerusalem is, is sacked. The, the city and temple are destroyed, and the people are carried off into exile, all according to... God's warning through the prophets that this would happen. But in 538, as I've already mentioned, King Cyrus uh, defeated the, the Babylonians and issued this decree uh, to return to Jerusalem to rebuild both the city and, and the temple. And so Ezra focuses on uh, the return of the people, the first group uh, return under Zerubbabel, uh, and begin the work of rebuilding the temple. A second group comes under the leadership of Ezra. And we, see, we saw sort of the, the emphasis in, in Ezra was on uh, the rebuilding of, of the temple uh, to restore proper worship in the land, but also the greater need, I would say, with the, in terms of the renewal of a right relationship with God, the renewal of the covenant with God. And for that to happen, there was a need for repentance and, and trust in God. And so the book of Nehemiah 
is, is very similar in terms of those themes and embassies, which I suppose we would expect given that it was once one book. Um, but there are some differences, uh, as it, of course, is a, there is a, a progress in the story of God's people in redemptive history uh, in uh, Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah, uh, like Ezra, was a leader uh, sent by God. And he was sent uh, to lead the people in the, this work of, of rebuilding uh, the community. Uh, also like Ezra, Nehemiah was what we might say is a, a man of, of action. Although in Nehemiah we see a different sort of action in terms of maybe the emphases that each of these had. You see, Ezra was a scribe. Ezra was a, an expert in the law. And so he was, you know, trained. His, his primary purpose was to instruct the people of God in the, in the word of God. Nehemiah was a layperson. He was actually a, a government official. Nehemiah 1.11 tells us that he was the, the cupbearer to the king, which... Uh, means he had the <laughs> the task of uh, tasting the king's food before he ate it to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And of course, uh, there was one way to, to lose that job, which uh, he didn't want to experience, and by God's grace, he didn't. Um, uh, but uh, nevertheless, it, it put him in a, in a position um, of great influence, uh, and and he was a man who was, of course, trusted uh, by uh, the king, likely to have the, the king's ear uh, when it came to uh, important decisions that the, the king had to make. And so uh, he was in this place, really, of, of, of privilege and, and prominence. Uh, but then God puts this burden on his heart and he leaves all of that and, and he comes to Jerusalem and we read that when he comes to Jerusalem, he, he becomes the governor. Uh, chapter eight, verse nine uh, will tell us that. And he begins the work of, of leading the people in rebuilding the, the walls of, of Jerusalem but ultimately, what we see with Nehemiah is he was a, he was a man of prayer. Um, as I mentioned earlier, right, the first thing he did when he received word of the conditions of the people in Jerusalem was that he prayed. And that's a continual theme that we will see in the book of, of Nehemiah that he was a, a man of, of prayer. And that's not to say that Ezra wasn't a man of prayer. We know uh, that he was a man of prayer. We saw him fervently pray uh, in uh, the book of, ne of Ezra. Uh, and of course, it's not to say that Nehemiah didn't love the word of God. Both, both were men of the word and prayer, though uh, their emphases were slightly different Ezra was a priest, Nehemiah was a politician, but both uh, were leaders of God's people. 
And of course, it's important for us to see these, these two men and their different styles, I suppose, of, of leadership, the different emphases, one on the, the word of God, one on the, uh, the pr- of prayer, um, because, right, both are important. Both are important in the building up of, of God's people. Both are important to those who would lead God's people, that God's people need to be instructed by the the word of God, but they also need to be diligent uh, in in prayer. You know, it's interesting. One of the the debates in the um, the post Reformation period in England, so this is around sixteen hundred to sixteen sixty, was the bit debate about whether the house of God was a house of prayer or a house of uh, of preaching. And now those of you who know a lot about that time period know that this had huge implications in terms of uh, where we put the altar in the sanctuary and where, uh, whether or not we used uh, the prayer book. And these were important uh, discussions that were had, debates, um, and had very real impact on the worship life of the church. But in many ways, isn't that sort of a, it is a false dichotomy, right? Is the house of God a house of preaching or a house of prayer. Because when God's people gather together, there should be an emphasis on, on both, right? The, both the, the preaching of the word and in corporate prayer, right? In other words, preaching and, and prayer are not exclusive of one another. Rather, they are complementary. They're supportive of one another, Right, these two things, the word and prayer, and together with the sacraments are what we refer to as the the means of grace, uh, the means, the primary means that God uses uh, to build up his people uh, to spiritually nourish and strengthen uh, the people of God. And so, of course, right, if we believe that, then we should have an emphasis on both of these gifts that God has given to his people, right? His revealed word that we might know the truth and the privilege of of coming to him in prayer to illustrate, to demonstrate our dependence upon him, to make our cares and concerns known to him that he might show himself faithful to us. And Nehemiah, it seems, understands the importance of prayer and even models it for us in this book. And we, of course, we'll see that in much more detail uh, in, in the coming weeks. Um, but I'm reminded again of Stan Evers' comment on the value of studying uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. I quoted it at the beginning of our study, but I'm going to uh, quote it again here. When he says, why should Christians read the books of two obscure Jewish leaders who lived over 400 years before Jesus Christ? We live in a modern world, so what is the point of reading these antiquarian documents? The paramount reason why we ought to read any portion of the Bible is that all scripture is God-breathed and useful, 2 Timothy three sixteen. 
And he goes on, it seems to me that both the books of Ezra and Nehemiah have a special usefulness for evangelicals at the present time. In an age of experience-centered, clap-happy worship, those are his words, not mine, and entertainment-oriented evangelism, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah direct our thoughts to a holy God who demands reverent worship and uncompromising loyalty from his people. Furthermore, these two writers call us back to a renewed obedience to God's word, a fresh realization of the power of prayer, and a wholehearted commitment to the work of God in fellowship with the people of God. Right, it begs the question, do we really believe in the the power of prayer? Do we really have a wholehearted commitment to the work of God in fellowship with the people of God? I don't think we struggle much with, under, or, or we don't struggle much with our commitment to the word of God, but, but Nehemiah calls us, God's word calls us to a deeper commitment to all three, to not just the word, but prayer and, and fellowship if we are to truly be built up together in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Now, the book of uh, Nehemiah is uh, split up really into two, two major sections, chapters one through six, actually seven, three uh, is where it really divides, uh, tells the story, the first part of Nehemiah's return to the land, the rebuilding of the wall, and of course, the challenges that were facing that work. But the second section, which is chapter seven, verse four to 13, 31, Tell us about the rebuilding of the community, the renewal of the covenant with God, the, the dedication of the wall, but also the instruction of God's people in the law of God. And so it is not just the rebuilding outwardly of the wall, but the rebuilding inwardly of the hearts and minds of God's people that they might be fixed upon him. And so there's a number of themes uh, that we'll see uh, throughout this study. The first, uh, and and these were also, uh, many of these at least, or a few of them, there's a lot of overlap with Ezra. The first is the sovereign hand of God at work. Uh, In Ezra, we saw how God worked in the hearts of foreign kings or a foreign king to issue a decree to allow his people to the land. Uh, And we see the same thing, though, with a different king in Nehemiah, right? That that God raised up Nehemiah and gave him a a place in the king's court where he would have access to the king to make this request to return to the land. And and, and, in chapter uh, two, and, and God working in the heart of that foreign king, to grant that request so that Nehemiah might testify in 2.8 that the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. And so again, we see that beautiful principle in scripture uh, that the proverb, the author of Proverbs communicates in 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. 
You see, God accomplishes his purposes, doesn't he, through whomever he wills, through, even through wicked kings. And that is a, a, a truth that should be of great comfort uh, to God's people, whether we live here or in any part of the world, that God's sovereign hand is upon uh, the kings of the earth. Uh, second theme is that God uses a, a variety of people to accomplish his purpose. Again, this was something we saw uh, in Ezra with the use of priests and musicians and skilled craftsmen and all manner of people to, to be involved in the rebuilding process. And we see that in Nehemiah as well. Um, but we also see it in the, in the contrast, right, between Ezra as a leader, a priest uh, who led the people, and Nehemiah, who was a, a government official, but both are, are used by God to, to lead the people in, in faithfulness before the Lord, in, in covenant renewal uh, to God, and, and of course, the, the rebuilding of the place that God had purposed for them. Another principle that we're, another uh, thing we see in uh, the book of Nehemiah is, uh, is a, an example of leadership that is built upon faith and trust in God. Right in Nehemiah, we, we will see a, a man whom God used uh, to lead his people, but we also see a man who understood his dependence upon God. He understood his need to to look to God to lead him before he could lead God's people. And we'll see that in, of course, his commitment to prayer for one in chapters one and in chapter nine as well. And of course, uh, another, the fourth would be the, the power of, of God's word. Right, we've seen that through the book of Ezra with the fulfillment of, of prophecies and um, in the, the power of, of God's word as, as Ezra uh, proclaimed it to the people that when God's word is faithfully proclaimed, people's hearts are, are cut to the quick. And we'll see that again in Nehemiah. In fact, uh, we'll see Ezra again reading the law of God in, in chapter eight and God's people responding. Chapter eight, verse eight says, for example, they read from the book, the law of God, clearly they gave the sense so that the people understood. And so that is our 30,000 foot uh, flyover uh, of uh, the book of, of Nehemiah. It's, it's a book about the sovereignty of God in accomplishing his purposes in the world and the lives of his people through the means that he has ordained to build his community to build his people's lives uh, by the power of his grace. And so uh, next week, Reverend Bolt will give you a, a close-up of the Grand Canyon. I think it's you, right? Yeah, good. All right. Well, let's, uh, having talked about Nehemiah, a man of prayer, let us be men and women of prayer ourselves uh, as we'll uh, turn our attention uh, to praying with and, and for one another, for uh, our missionaries, of course. Uh, if you didn't get a, a prayer sheet, there are uh, still some over there on the table. Um, but uh, let's uh, spend some 
some time uh, giving thanks and praise to God. It's been a while since we were together, and a lot, of course, has happened in that time. We can give thanks and praise to God for uh, our new senior minister who's now here, and um, give you know thanks and praise to God for uh, all of that happened over the the holidays. Um, but uh, and uh, we can pray for our our church that we would be a, a church that is committed to to the word and to prayer and to fellowship uh, with God's people. So let's, uh, just for a few minutes, let's, uh, where we are sitting, just pray out loud so all can hear, uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll pray for some other things too. But let's go to the Lord and thanks and praise to God. 